You're listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. Today, we are going to talk about serve-receive, and more importantly, I'm going to share with you five key aspects of serve-receive that I hope you're doing in your gym, or at least you're aware of these key five factors. So, stay tuned. Hi, I'm Coach Brian Singh, and after 11 years coaching competitive volleyball and as a head coach of a college team, I've become obsessed with helping athletes and coaches improve their knowledge and skills of the game by teaching them how to train efficiently and effectively to ultimately reach their volleyball goals. I've created the Volleyball by Design podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies so you can get clarity and apply what you learn right away. This is... The Volleyball by Design Podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 45 of the Volleyball by Design Podcast. How are you doing today? Hope you guys are doing well. Uh, Listen, I'm excited to bring to you another great episode of the podcast. I can't believe we're 45 episodes in, five more before we get to 50. That's exciting. You know, I started the show uh, almost a year, I think June is uh, we're going to be coming up to a year in June, and the show has grown uh, so much over the last year, and I'm I'm so thankful for all you guys who've been tuning in, who've been listening. Uh, I'm I'm really appreciative and thankful for my guests that have been on the pod and been able to share their value and knowledge with um with with all of you listeners out there. And uh, yeah, if you're if you're a regular listener, thank you so much again for tuning in. I you know what I always say that I appreciate it, but I really do. Uh, I don't take it for granted whatsoever. And if you're a new listener. Well, I mean, you got 44 episodes to get caught up on. Uh, There's a lot of value, a lot of information. So pace yourself and enjoy it. All right, so let's get uh, let's get started with the the episode on serve receive. So we're going to talk about five main factors of serve receive, and this is going to be a bit different. It's not a this is not a passing episode, okay? So we're not going to be talking about any kind of technical or tactical or anything like that when it comes to passing. Um, if you want that, uh, so listen to episode one, actually, episode one of the Volleyball uh, by Design podcast. We talked about um, some key aspects of passing, but this is just going to be serve-receive. So we're going to talk about um, ideals of serve-receive and how to think about serve-receive and stuff like that. So, you know, one thing that really comes to mind when, I con- when it comes to serve-receive is you we want to look at what the server is doing. Okay, a lot of serve receive happens before, you know, before the server is even made. You know, where are they starting from? Are they starting from position one? Are they starting from position six or five? Are they left-handed or right-handed? What type of serve are they doing? Are they doing a float serve or are they doing a spin serve? These are things that we should be having a comp- well. You should at least have your athletes be thinking about prior to serve or or understanding what these what these things mean. Like for example. If someone is serving the ball from position one, then you know the longest distance from position one is position one on the other side of the court. That's the longest distance, corner to corner. That's also one of the most difficult balls to pass because it's one, you're being, you're passing the ball from behind the setter, so that makes it more difficult for the setter to set the ball. So that, there's a strategy in itself. There, there's a serving, I know this is a serve-receive uh, uh, topic or episode, but if you if you were to serve one to one, if you were to serve behind the setter, you already put a team in a tougher position to pass and to set and run an offense. Okay, so not only is it tough to set a ball out of position one, it's also tough to um, pass a ball from position one. 
The other thing too is one-to-one is the longest distance on the court. Well, what does that mean? That means the ball has more time in the air. It has more time to do things. So if you are float, if, if, if there's a float serve coming at you, right, you don't want to be deep in position one because that ball could fall really short. It could, it could move. It's going to remember when, with a float serve, you know, when it's in the air, the longer it's in the air, the more it's moving, the tougher it's going to be to pass. That's why when it comes to float serves, we want to take it off early. So all of these things, right, the, if they're left-handed or right-handed, you know, those things come into a factor too. Like, you know, we, we faced a server, um, this kid named Liam Gray, and uh, he plays pro now. I don't know where he plays pro, but he was a setter. Really, really, really talented. He's one of the best servers that the, the league's ever seen, left-handed server. And he liked to serve from position five. And he could serve that 5-5 five, five ball the, from position 5 to position 5 on our side of the court. That was his best serve. And the amount of spin that was on the ball, it was incredible. But understanding that he was left-handed, understanding that, you know, that shot, right, that's a doable shot for him. It's a lot easier shot for him, you know, understanding because of what he can do with his left hand, that played a factor in how we passed. So understanding all these different things. Now, at the college level, we have the luxury of, of watching film before matches. So we, we, we know all these things going into the match. We know what type of serve the, um, the best servers like to do. What are they left handed or right handed? You know, things like that. So, you know, this is if you're a college coach, if you're a coach out there who has film on a team you're going to play, this is, this is going to help your serve receive by itself. You're going to look beforehand and figure out exactly who the best servers are, what, what kind of serve they like to do, um, and you know where, like, what not not only what kind of serve they like to do, but where they like to serve the ball too. All important factors when it comes to serve receive. Okay, so cues is the second thing. So now you've looked at the server, you know the server, you know what they like to do, you've identified certain cues in the server. Are they float serving or are they spin serving? Now, why is that important? Well, normally when someone float serves, we always want to move up to take the ball. When a server spin serves, we want to move back to take the ball. So there's a little simple cue for you there. Float serve, move up, spin serve, move back. Why? Well, last time I checked, it's very difficult to spin serve a tack line. Very difficult. There's only a few people that can do that. So on a spin serve, generally speaking, it's going to be a deeper serve. Okay unless it's like a really high spinner and they're strategically trying to place the ball somewhere, which means it's going to be a slower ball. So it's going to be a lot easier to read. And then float serve, and I kind of mentioned this before, you know, with a float serve, the longer the ball is in the air, the harder it is to pass. Well, on a float serve, you're going to want to move up to cut the ball off earlier. Okay, the earlier you can cut the ball off, the better uh, chance you have of making that pass. Which leads me to my next point. Are we hand passing or are we forearm passing? Now, there's a lot of debate out there in the volleyball world about hand passing, forearm passing. In fact, I, I've spoken to coaches and they believe that um, there's a chance hand passing might be eliminated from the from the game. Now, I personally don't like that. Uh, I, I don't I don't like the idea of taking away a skill from our game. Um, and I, I like I like hand passing. To be quite honest, I'm I'm more of a hand passer. Now, I've talked to coaches who despise hand passing because it's you know. Because remember, when you when you hand pass, there's no such thing as double contact, right? Because you're taking the ball. First contact, whether it's a serve, whether it's a, an attack, whatever the case is, first contact over the net, you're allowed to double. 
So a lot of people are under the impression that, well, you have these, you know, people that aren't skilled or it's just not great for the game if they can double on the first ball and hand passing allows them to do that and da 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 And, and I'm, uh, you know what, I'm a, I was a multi-sport athlete growing up, um, more heavily involved in basketball. And I, I can't imagine, I can't imagine telling a basketball athlete something like, you know, you, you're not allowed to dunk the ball anymore because it takes away from the art of shooting. I just, just it doesn't make sense to me, you know. Like I, I, I'm not really for that. So there's there's a lot of things that I think, you know, hand passing and forearm passing. They're both great. They're they're great techniques. You can use both of them, and you should be able to use both of them. So I just want to. I'll talk a little bit about hand passing. Um, you know, with hand passing, you have to understand first of all whether or not you have the ability to hand pass. Not everybody can hand pass because hand passing. It's not just about technique. Technique is part of it. But strength plays a factor as well. How how strong is your upper body? How strong is your wrist? How strong is your hand? If you don't have the ability to hand pass the ball coming at you at a fast speed, don't do it. Right? You could be as technically sound as possible, but if your strength isn't there, then you're going to be doing a disservice to your team as well as yourself. So don't hand pass if you don't have the ability to do it. However, I still want you to train it. It's still important to train it to get better at it, just like any other skill in our game. Now, when it comes to hand passing, uh, you know, one thing that's a little bit different than forearm passing is with hand passing, you're not creating angles. You know, with, with forearm passing, you know, passing with your platform, you can be completely facing the server and not facing the setter at all. Because what's going to happen is your angle is going to get the ball to your setter. So you can angle your body, you could drop your hips, tilt your shoulders, do all these great things to get the ball to your setter. But with hand passing, you can't do that. So what you have to do is make sure that when you're standing, your your stance is going to be split between the server and the setter. You're gonna have you're gonna be open to both. So you, I mean, if you're driving, don't close your eyes. But I want you to you know close your eyes and picture yourself standing across from a server. Let's say you're in position five, for example, and you're and the server is coming from position one, right across from you, directly across from you. Well. If you were to face them with both feet facing your server, imagine hand passing that ball. You, there's a good chance you're going to lift it because how are you going to get the ball to your target? So you have to move that right foot and open up a bit to your setter so when the ball comes, you can now direct it to your setter uh, without without violating anything. Like you can't Remember, you're not allowed to lift the ball. You can double the ball in first contact, but you can't lift it. And a lift, it really simply, is a held ball. So we have to make sure that we are... We are split between the server and the and the setter, and that's how you hand pass. And and you want to you don't want to hand pass further back. So when we're moving up, like when we hand pass, generally speaking, we're hand passing. You know, maybe a step or two behind the attack line, maybe a little bit further back, depending on how tall you are. But you're hand passing pretty close to that attack line. So the distance that the the ball is traveling is a lot shorter, more control, and then you know and so forth. Now there are a couple. Uh, you know, I don't want to say. I don't want to say uh, limitations, but they kind of are if you think about it. Like if you're a left side, for example, and you're hand passing, um, chances are if it's a tough float and you hand pass that 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 float, it's gonna be very it's gonna be a lot more difficult for you to get out and be an attacker. 
I'm not, not to say that you can't. Uh, it's just going to be more difficult to be able to get out, get your speed going and so forth and be able to you know, make a proper approach. Um, but at the same time, your, your percentage of passing should go up. So you got to weigh the two and see how, how good you are at both of them. That's why, you know, the forearm pass is great. Once you do the forearm pass, you know, you could generally be able to get outside the court a lot faster and, and, and move and stuff like that. Okay. So there's some things to think about with the hand pass and forearm pass. Uh, I like both. I, I like hand passing, but I know not everybody can do it and it's okay. It is what it is. Let's talk about the number of players you have passing. Uh, this is an interesting one for me. And I've, I've done two passers. I've done three passers. I've done four passers. And I can tell you with, with, uh, I can tell you why and, and how I made those, those decisions. So one thing I want to, uh, kind of be clear about before I start is more passers doesn't necessarily equal a better pass. Okay. Honestly, more passers doesn't necessarily mean a better pass. Um, because there's two things we have to understand. Well, one is seams. Okay, so seams, for those of you that don't know what a seam is, um, a seam is the distance between a player, between two players, so a passer and a passer, or the passer and the end line. Okay, so let's just visualize this again. If you're driving, don't close your eyes, but if you're not, if we have three passers, okay, position five, six, and one, we have three passers. Well, the player in position five is going to have a seam between them and the sideline. That's one seam. Then the player in position five is going to have a seam between the uh, player beside them, the player in position six. That's two seams. So then the player in position six now is going to have a seam to the to the right of them, which is going to be between the player in position one. That's a third seam. And the player in position one is going to have a seam between them and the end line, or the sideline, rather. So that's four seams. So when you have three passers, generally you have four seams. The distance between all the players as well as the sideline. So now that you understand what seams is, well, like I said, more players doesn't necessarily mean better pass. Well, the minute you throw in a fourth passer in there or a fifth passer, now we're talking way more seams, right? Because the minute you throw another passer, you just added two more distances between players. And that is going to be a nightmare when it comes to communicating whose ball is what. It's going to be really, really hard. Because you're, you have too many seams to, to cover. And the ball, the, ball, the ball now can break multiple seams. It can go into one seam and enter another seam. And, and then it gets really confusing. So I personally don't recommend more than three passers. Now, the only time I've ran four passers is if we have a really young team and they can't cover as much ground, then I might throw in a fourth passer and we run kind of like a diamond shape passing, not a W formation. Okay. Not a W formation, uh, but like more of a diamond. So we'll have the three players. Um, it's kind of like a, a Nike check mark. If you think about a Nike check mark, how you have one long line and then, and then the swipe up is a really short, uh, like the swipe is a long line rather, but the, the Nike at the bottom of the Nike is a short one. That's kind of how it would look like, uh, on a volleyball court in terms of the way you pass. But again, that's, you know, that, that's the last resort. Now I've also ran two passers in a game and I'll tell you why. So one thing that is something to think about coaches is if you have two really, really good passers and you have one passer who struggles or isn't as great as the other two by a significant margin, sometimes it's better to just have two passers than one. And the reason is, you know, 
you like a lot of times, you know, coaches, you're always trying to get your th- your three best passers in, and I understand that. Three passers is always good. You cover more more court, it's 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 fine. But if you have a passer that's hurting your team, where the other team knows that that's going to be the person they're going to pick on, and they're going to serve that passer in their weak seams, well, right off the back, it didn't matter if you have ten server ten passers. Your team is going to struggle in the serve receive because you have one passer who's significantly weaker than the others, and you're never, you're never going to side out. You're never going to be in system. So we had an issue a couple of years ago where we had a passer who just wasn't able to be consistent enough for us at that time. So we ran two passers, two left sides. That's what we ran. Two left sides cover the entire court, and we won games doing this. It's very uncommon to run two left sides. Normally, you'd have like a libero and a left side or something like that. But we had our two best passes were our two left sides. And we had them both pass the entire court and swing, and we won games doing it. Because now, well, one, it actually caught other coaches off guard. And two, we were able to be more efficient passing. There was less seams to cover, right? There's not four seams anymore. It's actually three seams now. And the communication has got easier. Right, it's clearly whose ball it is, and we went from there. So the the moral of that story is really simple. You can get away with two passers now, and probably not at the younger age group, but at the older age group, you can get away with it, providing that three passers isn't better. I mean, obviously, if you have three solid passers and you're not really losing out much, then yeah. But and you know what's funny? I've watched pro games um, where I've seen a libero on a left side pass the entire court, and I've seen it at the highest level of our game, and it's worked. So don't be afraid to have two passers if you're at the level that, you know, that's a call you can make, okay? You can do it, trust me. All right, so we talked about the fact that more seams does not equal, um, you know, more pa- like better better passing, right? More players doesn't equal better passing. You gotta be very, very careful with that. Uh, one other thing I wanna talk about is a passing zone versus a seam, okay? Now this one gets a little tricky. So you imagine, uh, you know, we called like left seams, for example. Okay, so there is a seam uh, between. You know what? Let me make this example a little bit easier. Let's say that you know your libero is going to have both seams, right? Libero. Let's say your libero is in position six. Okay, your libero is in position six. They're going to have both seams because they're your libero. If you if you guys have a libero who doesn't have both seams, that that's a problem. Their job is to play defense and pass. That's their only job. So if they're only if they're not attacking, they can jeopardize their body and cover more area. Right? They don't have to worry about passing and then going outside and attacking. So they should always have both seams. So if your player is in position six, your libero is in position six, they have both seams, and your player in position five, okay, they have um, you know just the left seam. That's great. Now I want you to picture this, okay? So your left side, your left side in position five has the left seam, which means the area between that player and the sideline. That's that's their responsibility. Okay. Now, what happens if somebody serves the ball and it goes to the right of the player that's in position five? The right. But it's really close to them. It's really close to them. It's like they could pass it. If they stuck their platform out to the side of their body, they could pass it. But... It's not their seam. And this is where we get into the conversation of passing seams, of seams versus zones. So a passing zone versus a seam. So a passing zone 
any ball that the player who's passing can pass that is pretty much in their reach. Meaning if I was to stick my platform out to the side of my body and I can contact that ball, then it's in my passing zone. So passing zone trumps seam all the time. So even though the player in position five has left seams, if the ball is served to the right of him and it's in his or her passing zone, meaning they can reach out to the side of their body and pass that ball, then it's their ball. But if the ball is outside their reach and it's to the right of their body now, it's not their ball anymore. It's whoever whoever has that seam, it's, which, which in our example was the libero. The libero had that seam. So that's the way that you look at it. Okay, so really important to understand if you have seams and if you have seams, seams are important, but passing zones are going to trump seam all the time. So if you ever had a situation where, you know, the ball went, you know, it was like, I don't know, it was left seams and the ball went to the right of the left side's body and the libero or whoever was supposed to get that was like, oh, it was my seam, but it was really hard for me to get to the ball. Well, this is why. So they have to take it. Okay. And this also plays a really important factor in communication. You know, young coaches out there, listen, I, I, I always hear, uh, you know, coaches on the bench were like, oh, well, whoever's ball it is, who called it first? Whoever calls it, that's their ball. Coaches, that doesn't work, okay? It's not whoever calls it first. Uh, I, I hear that all the time in elementary school. Elementary school, you know, when teachers are like, hey, make sure you call the ball, make sure you call the ball. Well, who called it first? Well, coaches, listen, it's very difficult. It's very difficult for a player to call the ball first to start. And by the time everyone else realizes that player called the ball first, and then that player has to go get it, and then the ball touches the floor, like, you know how fast to serve after it's contacted, it goes over the net? It doesn't matter what level. For you to process that information, call it, and then react to it, it, it takes some time. Now, am I saying not to call the ball? No, of course you should call the ball. But I'm saying calling the ball is not your only factor to who gets it. Seams and passing zones, that is what determines who gets the ball. And to make things easier, if it is in your passing zone and you are going to get the ball, then you can call it. Sure. Then you say mine just to reinforce that you acknowledge it's your ball and you're going for it so your teammates you know, don't get confused. Not that they will, but it just reinforces that idea. Okay? So really important you understand that when you say, oh, mine, 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 like there's no mine, 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 mine when it comes to passing to, to, to an extent. Like, yes, it's a, yes, it's an add on. I'm not saying not to do it, but I'm not saying, but I'm saying that is not how you differentiate whose ball is whose by calling it. Okay. Especially on serve receive, maybe in rally situations, maybe free balls. Yeah. Yeah. Free ball. Sure. If a free ball comes over, mod, I got it. No problem. All right, that's a different story, not on serve receive, okay? All right, I spent a little too much time talking about that. Let's move on. Communication uh, on the pass, we'll take it a slow step further here. Now, I want you, now again, if you're driving, don't close your eyes, but if uh, you're listening to this, without driving, you can do this. Imagine someone is floating the ball, so a server is in position one on the other side of the court, and they're floating the ball to the player in position five. Okay, left side. Who has the best angle, the best view on determining 
whether that serve is going to be short or long. Who has the best angle? I want you to think about that. So the server is serving from position one on the other side of the court, and they're serving to position five. So straight on, no cross-court serves, straight on. Who has the best angle to read that ball out of all the players on that on the opposite side of the court, on the receiving side of the court? Who has the best view and angle? Well, if you guess the player in position one, you are absolutely correct. The player in position one has the best angle of looking at that ball and determining whether it's going to go short, whether it's going to go long, whether it's going to go out. So they, so even though the player in position one is not responsible for passing the ball or even communicating whose ball it is for that matter, because they're, they're all the way on the other side of the court, they must communicate whether that ball is going to be short, long, out, etc. That is their job. So yeah, you, you'd be surprised. A lot of you might not have thought about that, but even though they're, they're not one of the two passers involved in the seam, they're still responsible for communicating because of their view, their angle. And the same thing can be said about the opposite, right? If you were going, if player, if the player in position one was receiving the ball, the player in position five would have the best view and angle to make those calls. So it's really important that passers understand that and do it because that can make or break some points. They can save some points. If a ball is going out and they see it, and again, if the player in position five may not see that because they just see the ball coming straight to them. So Seeing a ball coming straight to you, you have to gauge now the like you know how fast it's coming, the, what the speed, the like the height, all that stuff. You have to you have to interpret it, you have to read it, which which is true. You have to do that. But the player in position uh, one will have the best angle and view on it. Okay, so really important. I will end it off with one more. I don't know. Did I did I talk about more than five? I might have. I might have actually talked about more than five. Uh, but this is the last one I'll end it off with. I could, to be quite honest, <laughs> listeners, I I probably could come up with maybe fifteen to twenty. Uh, you know, tips and tactics for serve receive, but I want to keep it to five of the mo- of, of the important ones that I think um, you should be doing in your gym. Let's talk about short serves versus long serves. Well, I always I, I hear a lot of times in gyms where uh, you know players would be like, "Oh, I got short, I got short, or I got long, I got long," and I'm, I'm sometimes I'm confused by that because there's no there's no I got short and I got long when it comes to serve receive. Okay. If you have if you have a three person passing system, then the pl- like if the player in position five, they're gonna get the balls that are deep that are going to their seam or their zone, and they're gonna get the balls that are short. There's no we're not overlapping passing here to say oh I got short I got long. No that doesn't work. Now you what you can do is if you see if you see a serve going long and you're in position position six for example, you can move back to provide help in case. For whatever reason, the server uh, shanks the ball or, or, or doesn't get to it in time, and whatever the case is, sure you could provide that backup, but that's not your ball. You're not responsible for that ball. The player in position five is responsible for that ball. Now, the only exception, the only exception, is if the ball is trickling over the top of the tape, which is super, super short. And then in that case, then yes, a middle could potentially take that ball and pop it up to the setter, etc. You know, things like that. Or the setter can take that ball, which we don't want, by the way. But in last case scenario, the setter can take that ball, pop it up, and you can run an offense that way. But that is the only exception to the rule. The players who are responsible for their seams and zones, they're the ones that are responsible for passing the ball, regardless of whether it's short, long, etc. That's their ball. So coaches... There's no such thing as short and long. 
There is player responsibility, meaning you're a passer in position five, you are responsible for that entire side of the court and your zone. That's it, period. And we go we go from there. And uh, that is just, yeah, that's just one thing that I've seen too much of. And we got to stop that. Okay? We got to stop teaching them that habit. Those, the players have to pass, period. So just to recap here, I, I probably talked about more than five things. I'm sure I did. We talked about reading the server, you know, understanding what kind of serve they're doing, whether they're right-handed or left-handed, where they're serving from. We've, we're uh, understanding the type of serve. So float serve, spin serve, the cues, moving up, moving back. We talked about the hand passing versus the forearm passing. You know, how many passes are you running? Two, three, or four? Okay, understanding, you know, that more passes don't equal better passes, etc. Understanding seams, the importance of seams, the difference between passing zones and seams and why that's important. And then understanding communication on the pass, who is better to look at angles and, and view the speed and so forth. And then short serves versus long serves. All right. Now, this is just like a, a tip of the iceberg in terms of service. There's a lot more things to be aware of. Now, if you are a DVA member, a Digital Volleyball Academy member, um, go into the membership and take a look at that passing course. And there's a ton of more stuff we talk about in there when it comes to serve receive. And if you are a Digital Volleyball Academy member, you already have access to my number one serve receive drill that changed our program and and made our passing just jump. I can't even begin to describe how much our passing became so much more better after doing this drill. And that's, all, that's the only drill I do now inside our gym, to be quite honest. If you aren't a Digital Volleyball Academy member, but you're interested in joining, go to Digital Volleyball Academy and sign up for the waitlist. It's digitalvolleyballacademy.com. Sign up for the waitlist. We're going to open doors uh, you know, hopefully soon, and you'll be able to get right in. And you'll have access to not just serve receive stuff, but every single tutorial and coaching and course that I have. I have all I have courses on every single position in our game, plus a lot of bonuses in there. You get access to my vertical jump program. You get access to coach. We, we jump on coaching calls twice a month. You get access to a ton of great, great other courses. Um, and then, and then uh, the community, you get access to the DVA community, which is amazing. Imagine just having a community. You can go ask questions, get answers and stuff like that. So it's a really cool mentorship program that I provide for coaches around the world. So if you want that mentorship, um, definitely sign up for the waitlist. And uh, the last thing I'll leave you with is, is one of my, one of my mentors said that, you know, you look at all the greatest coaches in the world, they didn't get there by themselves. So why are you? And when I found, when he told me that it was, it was true, all the all my great mentors and all the great coaches in the world did not get to where they are by themselves. They all had mentors. They all had mentors and people they can lean on. They can lean on their experience and stuff like that. So if you're a coach out there and you don't have a mentor, you're going at this alone. I want you to ask yourself, how much are you hindering your growth by doing that? And if you're ready to change that and grow as a coach much faster to help change the lives of your athletes and grow this game and get better at it. Uh, I got a solution for you. It's inside Digital Volleyball Academy. That's my mentorship program for coaches. Uh, so join us. I can't wait to see you inside. Uh, you can join the waitlist, digitalvolleyballacademy.com. Join the waitlist. And I will look forward to working with you inside the membership. Until next time, that's it. I will see you next week on another episode of the Volleyball by Design podcast. Take care, everyone. All right, cue the music. Look, are you at the stage you want to be in your volleyball journey? How would it feel to get clarity on your training? And instead of taking months to get better, you could improve in weeks, if not days. When I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially. 
let me show you how to be more efficient and effective in this game. I invite you to check out CoachBTraining.com for more resources that you can use to take your game to the next level. I look forward to helping you reach your volleyball goals.